This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40. Here is God's word to us. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart, so keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think too that I have the spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for passages of scripture that stretch our understanding, stretch our application that causes us to lean on you all the more and say, Lord, teach us, form us. We pray that from this passage of scripture that you would particularly uh, strengthen and encourage the singles in our midst, that they would have a fresh vision from you uh, for the purpose of their lives. I pray as well that you would speak to married people in our midst, that we would embrace your uh, plan, that we would grasp and understand your purposes, and that we would um, come alongside and walk closely with our single brothers and sisters as one in the family of God, Lord. So speak to us. I pray that you would uh, fill me with the Spirit and grant me strength and clarity and give us all ears to hear what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had a uh, 
I had a class when I was in seminary many years ago, and it was called a preaching lab. It was an awkward experience because what we did was we preached, but it was, they were designed to be small classes, so we preached to like eight people, which is really strange. I mean, you're just getting up, and you, am I supposed to be loud or what? There's like eight people in the room. And then the reason it was small is because after your sermon, you, uh, which were generally very bad, it was a bunch of people who hadn't preached hardly at all. We we're just learning. We're all in our 20s. They were typically bad. And then you got in a circle, and people who had no preaching experience then evaluated one another's sermons. Uh, and so it was a uh, it was awkward. It was kind of fearful. What are they going to say? And none of us knew each other. I had one close friend in my group. So I had this one buddy. So I just have these two memories. I, the first sermon I preached, I thought, man, this is stifling. It's stiff in here. And uh, so I'm not a singer, but I sang in my introduction. I just uh, sang a children's song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Maybe you know that one. And uh, I won't reprise it for you right now. But I sang that to which the teacher who did have preaching experience at the end in the evaluation said, that was very bold, uh, which is a way of saying that was, don't do that again, but trying to be gracious. Uh, the second sermon I preached, I remember uh, I had no pastoral experience or very little. And I remember preaching a passage from the life of Jesus that was sort of stark. It was just bold as Jesus's words frequently were. And I just didn't balance it with the rest of scripture. So I just took Jesus's words and taught them, let them kind of land on the eight students. And I just didn't really tell everything else the scripture had about the subject. So that when it came to uh, evaluation, every evaluation of the people in the class were like, well, yeah, what you said, but what about, and doesn't the Bible also say, and isn't there? And they all were trying to balance out what I said. Well, my friend was the last one to speak and I probably should have balanced it out. Truth be told, I probably should have had some pastoral sensitivity, but I didn't know. And so my friend at the end said, well, all of your critiques, um, they're fine, but they're just not what the Bible says, not what Jesus said. He just took the words of Jesus and explained them. And he kind of came to my rescue. I was like, yeah, what he said. Yeah, that's right. What he said. Uh, and he came to my rescue, and I thought, now there is a time to be circumspect and pastorally sensitive and build fences, and then there's a time to just open the text and let it out there and let people just squirm under it a little bit without saying all the things it doesn't say or whatever the rest of the Bible says, and that's what I'm going to do today. So maybe that's the move of an inexperienced preacher like so many years ago, but it's helpful for us to read the scripture and just wrestle with it at times and be shaped by it. And that's what I want to do today. And there's parts of this passage that are a little unclear uh, to us, but one thing that is very clear is the purpose of this passage. And the purpose is found in verse 35, where Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's it. To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And he's talking to people who are single and married, but his overall point is this, make life decisions that promote an undivided devotion to the Lord. Make, and he's talking about should you get married or not, but this applies more broadly, make life decisions that promote, that encourage, that facilitate, that stimulate, that empower an undivided devotion to the Lord. That is his goal. And he's applying it to single people. And he says three things here, I think in this passage, I mean, he says a number, but here's three headings. The first one is he says to singles, you are free 
to remain single. That's the first thing he says. You are free to remain single. So the context, context of this passage is that Paul is, the whole passage is on marriage and divorce and this sort of thing, being single. And the whole context of what we just read, it comes with one verse prior. Verse 24 says, so brothers, in whatever condition each of us was called, let him remain with God. So he's saying, wherever you are, you can as we saw last week, you can serve the Lord where you are. Whatever your condition right now, whatever your status before, he said, if you're, if you're a slave or you're a free person, you can serve the Lord. If you're married or if you're single, you can serve the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. And in this section, he, he addresses to begin with people that are betrothed. Now, we don't use that terminology, but the closest thing in our culture would be being engaged, be similar. So he's saying <clears throat> to the people, now concerning verse 25, the betrothed or engaged people, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one <clears throat> who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The same thing as verse 24, remain as you are. Now, what Paul's doing in this chapter is he's responding to questions the Corinthians have asked him. The Corinthians are this church. This is being written in the middle of the first century. Paul founded this church, and now there's problems in this church, so he's writing to them. And in verse 1 of this chapter, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then he answers something. So look at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, it's the same thing. They must have asked about engaged people. Should engaged people go ahead and get married? Or we don't know what they asked, but they asked something. And his counsel to them is, he says, I, I'm going to teach you now. I'm not quoting Jesus on this. He's saying, I, the Lord, did, I don't have a quote of Jesus addressing this topic, but I'm going to give you my judgment. And Paul is authoritative in his teaching. He's writing under the inspiration of scripture, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing scripture. And so he says with authority, uh, verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. So if you're married, don't pursue a divorce at this point. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. That's what he says to uh, people who are single. He's saying stay single. Now, why does he say this? Well, he says, uh, that he's giving this advice, this counsel, this word, verse 26, in view of the present distress. Now, if you have a Bible like I do, an ESV, there's a little note where it says present distress. Uh, and if you look down at the footnote, it says, or impending distress. So there's something going on in Corinth, either now or it's coming, they can tell, that is distressful to them. And because of that, he's saying, just stay put. So there's speculation. Some people think, well, there was a famine going on about this point. And so, you know, if there's not enough food, why get married and start having kids and there's no food. Um, some people say Christians were being persecuted at this point. So they're saying, hey, if, if, if persecution is rising, just stay as you are. The problem with both of those theories, which may be accurate, is that they're just not addressed. First Corinthians never mentions a famine and it never mentions um, increased persecution, though there was always, always persecution in the first century. So we don't really know what this impending distress is that's maybe coming. It could be the anticipation of the end of the world, the return of the Lord, because look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. That's the kind of language of Christ's return. So did Paul anticipate Christ was going to return in his lifetime? We don't know, but he always taught to live as if Christ is soon to return, 
to live your life focused on the brevity of life, that Christ could return at any time, or you or I could die at any time as well. So life is short and, and, and live as if your life is short. The next event in salvation history is the return of Jesus. Be prepared for it. So what's he said so far? There's some distressing situation that's either going on or coming soon. Life is short. <clears throat> the Lord could return Um, so the wisest thing to do is stay as you are. Don't step out of your marriage, but you don't have to step into marriage either. You're free to remain single. If you do get married, he says, um, verse 28, if you do marry, you have not sinned. If the engaged couple gets married, they have not sinned. So maybe the Corinthians asked about that. Is this sinful? They're new believers. They don't know. So he says, it's not sinful at all to get married, but, but, you should probably stay as you are. Uh, Why? Because you want to ultimately cultivate an undivided devotion. Verse 35, you want to cultivate an undivided devotion to the Lord. To the unmarried, you are free to be single. Um, If you do get married, he says, verse 28, uh, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Later on in verse 34, he says, you'll have divided interests if you get married. And so beware of that. Now, this all sounds strange to many of us, maybe not all of us, but this sounds kind of strange perhaps to us. I mean, doesn't the Bible say very positive things about marriage? Didn't the Bible create Adam? Didn't God create Adam and Eve and join them together? And haven't we heard a number of sermons uh, over the life of our church on the themes of marriage and uh, parenting, family life? This this kind of sounds uh, a little out of left field to me, you may think today. Why is that? Well, uh, I think it could be that there's something going on a bit unique in their circumstance. There is some distressing thing going on there that maybe isn't going on for us. But as we read this passage and kind of zoom out, there's more than just distress. He's making some, some, uh, he's making some very clear statements about the benefits of the single life for the Corinthians. I think one reason this sounds somewhat strange to us is that because many of us have a bias towards marriage. We have a bias towards marriage. Um, That was certainly the case in the Corinthian culture. The church he's writing to, that was very much the situation. They believed in the Corinthian culture that marriage was superior to the single life. Um, that you wanted the ideal life is to be married. Um, There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, if you were a woman, you needed to be married for economic reasons. A woman was unable uh, to provide for herself as easily as a woman can provide for herself in our culture. There were certain limitations to what a wife, uh, or to, I'm sorry, a single woman could do. And so a woman would want to become a wife because there was economic stability in marriage and having a husband who could uh, provide. Uh, Secondly, in this culture, the men wanted to be married because that provided family stability. 
As we talked about earlier, men oftentimes, not Christian men, uh, but men in this culture oftentimes didn't look for sexual fulfillment in their marriage. They looked for that outside of their marriage. But in their marriage, they looked for uh, stability. They, there was a desire to have children, and a many children could put, raise one's status in the culture. So uh, they oftentimes married women very young, as young as 12, and they started trying to get pregnant right away to have as many babies as they could because there was a high mortality rate for the children. So men wanted to get married to have a big family. Women wanted to get married for economic stability. So there was a bias towards marriage in their culture, that that was the good life. And I would say the bias is in our culture as well for different reasons, but I think it's there in many places. Uh, For instance, in our culture, while women have occupational uh, options to provide for themselves, it's still often valued marriage above the single life because marriage in our culture, there's a view that marriage is necessary for personal fulfillment. Our culture is all about personal fulfillment, and someone can uh, be more fulfilled in the married state. So life becomes, that's the idea, life becomes the search for a soulmate, and once you meet your soulmate, uh, then you can have a complete life. But prior to then, you are in search of a fulfilling completed life by trying to find a soulmate. That's a common idea. It's not universal, but it's common in our culture. So there is a bias towards the married life. And in the church in particular, I think we tend to elevate married life to such a degree that oftentimes single adults feel marginalized. They feel like there's not as much um, attention or care given to them. Sometimes they even feel like second-class citizens because of the, the sort of absence sometimes of sensitivity to them and, uh, well, the very things that this passage talks about. So clearly the Bible has much to say about marriage. It has much to say about family life, but it doesn't present singleness as a problem to be fixed. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. This passage is not saying that the married person has a lot of troubles to be fixed. In fact, he says just the opposite, that the the married person will incur worldly troubles, 28. I'm just telling you what he's saying. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what the scripture in this passage says about this. So Christians are free to remain single, Paul is saying, free to remain single. And depending on the person and their gifts, we looked at earlier in the chapter, some are gifted for a celibate life, some are gifted for a married life. So depending on a person and their gifts and their circumstances, remaining single may be a preferable status to being married for some Christians. And that's what he's saying here. You are free to remain single. Even if the Corinthian culture is putting pressure to get married, even if American culture puts pressure to get married, even if church culture puts pressure to get married, and some of the older ladies are playing matchmaker and putting pressure on you. I guess guys could do that too. That may be a sexist statement, I realize. But uh, so men or women playing matchmaker, just that, that subtle kind of pressure that it ain't right with you until you get married. Paul here is saying you are free to stay where you are and live a life according to the way God has called you and gifted you. Free to be single. Number two, freedom in remaining single. There's a freedom in remaining single. Verse 29, 
He says, uh, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives live as if they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For, this is the key to the, this section. For the present form of this world is passing away. So he's pointing to eternity and he's saying all the stuff we see around us, it's, tra- it's uh, transitional or transitory. It's, it's moving away. It's fading away. So think about eternity. What lasts forever is what he's saying here. And what does he start with? When he says the world is passing away, what does he start with? Marriage because that's what he's addressing here. First thing he says is, let the one who has wives live as, has a wife live as though he has no wife. He starts with marriage. And he's ultimately in this passage saying, don't live for this world. Don't live as if this world is all there is. Don't make anything in this world ultimate because it's passing away. So when he says live as if you don't have a wife. He's not saying neglect your wife. This is not a biblical endorsement to be an uncaring, selfish uh, spouse at all. Earlier in the chapter, we talked about this two weeks ago, just the opposite. In the same chapter, Paul says you are to give yourself fully to your spouse, that marriage is about giving to the other. So he's not saying neglect. He says give. He's just saying don't put ultimacy or ultimate importance on things that are passing away like marriage. The whole goal is to talk about undivided devotion to the Lord. And so now he's saying, don't treat your marriage as if it's ultimate, it's temporary. What does Jesus say? There is no marriage after the resurrection. In the new heavens and new earth, there is no marriage. So marriage is put in a category of things that are passing away. Jesus is put in the category of one who is eternal, and so have devotion to him. Look at the other things he talks about here. The person who is mourning as though they were not mourning. That you may have sorrow in your life right now, but don't believe that that's ultimate, or that is your eternal uh, destiny. If you know Christ, you will not always be mourning. There is coming a day. So look eternal because there's coming a day when you will know joy unspeakable. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Everything's passing away, verse 31. So don't root your life in trying to find happiness as if that's ultimate. It's not the ultimate. It's passing away. Earthly experiences are passing away. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Look, don't buy stuff and then root all your hope in your stuff. Your stuff is passing away. Live for eternity. Um, Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Don't encounter the world. Now, he's not advocating like moving to the mountains and, you know, living up at the top of the mountains all by yourself and having no interaction with the world. He's not saying that. But he is saying that when you interact with the world, look at it for what it is. It is passing. Don't be possessed by your possessions and don't, uh, don't interact with the world as if this is all there is. 
As a matter of fact, that's the very definition of worldliness. Worldliness is living as if this world is all there is. So all I have is to live my life to find happiness right now, to buy things and find happiness in them, to encounter the world and find happiness in it, and to make marriage ultimate so that all my fulfillment and all my hope will come in my marriage. See, see, that marriage, if you're single and you're viewing marriage in that way, it will never deliver what you hope. Nobody can deliver that but Jesus. And a spouse makes a very poor God, a very poor God. And so he's saying, live as if you're, you're, you're faithful in your marriage and you're fulfilling the, the joys and the calling of marriage, but you are ultimately living for Christ is what he's saying. Jesus alone is ultimate, not marriage, not things that are passing. There's a freedom in staying single. So you're free to be single. And there's also a freedom in staying single. And this is what he says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 33, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And verse 34, his interests are divided. So he's saying, I I want you to be free from anxiety. And so what I'm telling you is that the married man is, uh, is, is focused on, anxious about worldly things like pleasing his life. That meaning that is a temporal thing. That is an earthly thing. It's not a bad thing, but that, that that is the focus. He says the same to the wife in verse 34. The married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You see, the Bible teaches that when you get married, I'm married. My wife, she was in the first service. She's not here now. But I, 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 uh, when we got married, when you get married, if you're a married person, you become one with the other person. And so necessarily and appropriately, you have divided interests. Because now, humanly speaking, your greatest human earthly responsibility, uh, person to person at a horizontal level, your primary responsibility is to love, prefer, serve, and care for your spouse. Another person has become the most important human focus of your life. And so your interests are divided because you're committed to another person. So now as a married person, you naturally and appropriately need to consider the other person concerning everything. Your time is now, you're to use your time with your spouse in view. You use your finances with your spouse in view. You use your gifts with your spouse in view. You use your energies with your spouse in view. And if you have children, exponentially, now exponentially you have divided interest because you are responsible to care for them as well. Now, family is a tremendous joy. And a tremendous gift from the Lord for those called to marriage and family. But he's just making a realistic observation that the single person does not have the same necessarily divided interest that the person, uh, that the married person has. 
He, he's not saying, he's not making a moral judgment. That's not a moral value judgment to say the married person has divided interest. It's just a biblical fact that your life is one, so now you're sharing life with another. He's not making a moral judgment. He says in verse 28, he says in verse 36, it is not a sin to get married. It's not wrong to get married. If you're single, he says, it's not wrong to get married. If you're engaged, it's not wrong to get married. But he's calling them to do so with an appropriate understanding that while you are free to stay single and you're free to be married, there is a freedom in single life that changes at marriage. Because he says, on the other hand, on the other hand, verse 32, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Now, don't overread. He's not saying, wow, if you're married, you don't even have to care about the Lord. No, he's not saying that. You're called to please the Lord, whatever. But there's a lack of of earthly responsible sort of divided interests that come with marriage. Same for the single woman. Uh, Verse 34, the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. So she is concerned her primary responsibility, body and spirit means all of you. So her primary concern is walking a holy life before the Lord Um, and fulfilling whatever calling he's given her, but that's not to a husband at that point in her life. Why is he saying these divided interests versus these undivided interests? The reason he's saying this is verse 35. I say this, because they're probably wondering, why are you saying this? I'm saying this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. I'm not saying you have to stay single. This isn't a restraint. I'm just trying to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That is his motivation, to secure their undivided devotion to the Lord. So his point is, the reality is that married life sets up some divided interests, which if you're called, if you're married, those are good divided interests, but they're divided interests. The single person is in some ways is set up with the potential to have undivided interest and this single hearted sort of uh, devotion that matches her interest. Married person must be devoted to the Lord as well, but the single person has a different context to walk that out in, uh, in a very clear way. So, living as a Christian single adult is far from being second class in the church. It should be far from being marginalized in the church. Rather, it is a calling that should be honored as a life lived with a single focus, a single purpose, and a single devotion. And we must must realize our context, different than Corinth, but I I do think there is a bias towards marriage and family life uh, in our context. We live in a city that is filled with families. I think the numbers are, I don't know, it's, it's upwards, it's, it's, it's above uh, two-thirds of the citizens of Frisco adults are married from what I saw. So it's a majority of our population. Uh, this is a city that builds itself on family values. People move here for the schools. These are all great things in the community, but they move here because of the school. So it's very family-driven, family-focused where we are. And so we need to hear a message like this very clearly from the scripture to speak some balance into the air we breathe in Frisco. Now, if I was preaching, if I was pastoring in San Francisco or Manhattan or Portland or some city that urban area that has a high, high percentage of singles, 
then, then to balance that, we would, we'd be preaching something else. Maybe the balancing message there, maybe the prophetic, that's probably better than balance, prophetic. The prophetic message in Manhattan or uh, urban San Francisco might be something like this. Uh, Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone, so he created uh, a helper suitable to Adam, Eve, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's, that's, uh, that's the message of, of uh, Genesis. So if that, in that case, then there's a message which is, speaks prophetically to people who may be living single for the wrong reasons. They may be living single because they're selfish rather than living single so that they're free, not so that they're free to live life for themselves, but they're free to honor the Lord and live life for others. So this is why this text, which I've never preached before, um, or even this theme, I've never really addressed quite like this before. That's why this is a good prophetic word to us in our environment to be aware. Um, Marriage is a gift of God. To marry is not sinful, very clearly. Uh, It's a free choice, and you do well to to be married, but he says you do better if they remain uh, unmarried so that they, are, they live something, there's something of a gift of not divide, non-divided interests. So you're free to remain single, he says. Scripture says to us, there's freedom in being single. And here's the third and final point he addresses, which I think pokes at us as much as the other. And that's, you're free to marry whomever you wish, with one significant caveat. But you're free to marry whomever you wish if you want to get married. He says, and uh, I did skip the one section of verse 36, that, that section right there. He does say that if you're burning with passion and desire and you're engaged, you should get married. Don't be a burner, get married. That's what he said earlier in the chapter. So you should get married. He does say that. I forgot, I forgot to skip. I did skip that very important point um, in verses 36 and following. But look at verse 39. He's addressing widows here. And he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet my judgment is that she'll be happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the spirit of God. Uh, So they must have been saying, hey, we've got the spirit of God. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. And he's saying, no, I've got the spirit. How about you? So uh, I have the spirit he's saying here. I don't think he did that chant, but... um, and if I could edit that out of the sermon, I would. But I did sing in a sermon once. I tell you guys that? Yeah, I already told you that part. Uh, if we, this is talking about widows, but if we zoom out here a bit, if we zoom out and say, okay, look, we're not just talking about widows here. Uh, if we zoom out, I think the principle is true that a single adult is free, Christian single adult is free to marry whomever they wish only in the Lord. That means it must be a Christian. So he's saying, if your spouse dies, you're free to marry. So it's interesting. What are the standards? What is the direction for marriage? Well, you can marry whoever you want if they are a Christian. I'm not saying it's wise to marry any Christian that you want, but in terms of the moral will of God, it's permissible. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. I'm not saying it's wise. I'm not saying it's advisable to marry any old Christian you want without consideration of maybe their age and your age or consideration of their maturity and your maturity or consideration of their compatibility with you or consideration of small things like, do you like this person and want to spend the rest of your life with him or her? That would be an important consideration given wisdom. Um, 
that would be very important. Here would be a very important question based on this chapter. Do I feel that married to this person that I can bear greater fruit in the kingdom, that our lives together can make a significant difference? Are we together in the sense that together we can make a difference for the Lord and his kingdom? That, that's an important question here. Can I, can I walk with this individual and... Um, uh, to us together, do we, are we on the same page in wanting to serve the Lord together? So that's, those would be important questions. However, it is interesting, I think, that it just says she can marry the Christian she wants to marry. What is clearly not in this scripture is that you need to go out and find, quote unquote, the one that you need to find the one. That searching in, in, in popular Christian culture, sometimes searching for a spouse is like mysteriously identifying the one. As if finding a spouse is searching for hidden treasure. And when you find the hidden treasure, this is the one. The problem is that one, if that's the only one on the planet, that one can say, no, I'm not interested in you. And then wh- where you got nothing, you're stuck. So it's not, as if, it's not as if trying to find the one. Rather, Scripture talks about cultivating an undivided devotion to the Lord. So it'd be much better to be cultivating an undivided devotion to the Lord, growing in holiness, as it says, maturing in Christ, and then meeting someone who has an undivided devotion to the Lord that is maturing in Christ and saying, does wisdom dictate that we should be married together rather than the wackiness that goes around of, well, I don't know, uh, I'm not really growing the Lord, I'm just trying to find the one. And so, Lord, if I see a blue feather on Wednesday afternoon, that means he's the one, or whatever kind of kind of silliness that goes on out there looking for signs and confirmations rather than basic things like live your life devoted to the Lord. That's the emphasis of scripture, which sometimes can be, can be somewhat missed. And then if you live in for the Lord, devoted to the Lord, in community with other believers, friends that are involved in your life, more mature people that are involved older than you maybe, or more mature that are involved in your life, and you're walking an open life, and you're pursuing the Lord and pursuing his word, and you, you meet someone who's doing the same things, then if you want to marry them, marry them. That's the teaching of scripture, I think, not the magical, mystical, the one. I'm as immature as all get out, and he may not be a Christian, but I got a sign. That's nonsense, okay? And you can save yourself a lot of trouble. And if you are, because it's not the one idea, if you are married, this eradicates any view of someone sitting around and going, well, our marriage isn't so good. We're both Christians, but I probably missed the Lord. I didn't marry the one. When you said, I do, that's the one. When you said, I do, that's the one. And so you married the one whom you wished, and the Lord has you together and uh, is calling you to, to grow in him together. So what does the text say overall? Paul says you're free to remain single. Matter of fact, you're better remaining where you are. You're free to remain single. There's a freedom that comes with remaining single, the divided interest so that you can live a life, uh, undivided devotion to the Lord. And number three, if you do choose to get married, you're free to marry whom you wish in the Lord. And then we would add, that's the moral will of God. We'd probably add some wisdom categories in there to help you. You probably want to add some wisdom categories, but that's the simple part of it. If they're in the Lord, you could marry them. Let me give some encouragement for singles and some encouragement for marrieds, and we're done. Most of this entire message has been for single adults, and uh, it's, I, want, I want to say something. If you've never been married, if you're widowed, um, 
if you're divorced, this is what I, this text, what the Lord wants you to hear from this text. You are not on the sidelines. You are not in a holding pattern until you could really be used by the Lord. And someday, maybe, you'll be fulfilled. That is not what the Bible says. You are not forgotten by God. You are not forgotten by God's people. You are at the very center of God's purposes on earth. You're at the center of his purpose. You are in good company. Jesus was single. Paul was single. I mean, Jesus was the most, he was God, different category than us, obviously, the God man, but he was the most complete, even though he's God, he's the most complete human that's ever lived. Paul is advocating for singles in a culture that probably put pressure on them to be married. He's advocating for the benefit of that's your calling. The benefits of it is what he is talking about here. I, if you're single and want to be married, I, I don't want to be flippant. I don't for a moment want to pretend your life is easy. I don't want to for a moment pretend that having an unfulfilled desire is not a daily grief that you battle. So I'm not saying that it's, that it's easy if you want to be married and you are not. But I do want to say that it is a high and holy calling before the Lord. At, well, if you're single today, that's the Lord's will for your life today. I don't know about the future. But today, we only have today. And where you are today, you are at the center of God's purposes. God calls us to an undivided devotion to him. And your current status affords you the privilege to not have divided interests so that you can honor that calling of God on your life. Please see that and embrace that as truth for yourself where you are today. God wants to use you right where you are today, not someday in the future. The job you have today as a single adult, the Lord wants to use you. The roommates you have, if you have roommates or if you live with family, God wants to use you in that context today, right where you are. God wants to use you in this church today. God wants to touch the lives of other people through you today. And the enemy will whisper lies in your ear that are contrary to what we've just spent the last 40 minutes or whatever talking about. He will whisper lies into your ear. If you are an older single, then he will tell you your best years were back there. Too late for you. Back when you were married, if you're a, if you're a divorced or a widow, widower, back there when you were married, that's when it really counted. Now, there's really nothing for you. That is a lie. This text says the exact opposite. And this text says, arguably, you're the center of what God wants to do. You, you, you are, your calling, your status is specifically designed for maximum fruit. Not your best days were behind you. Not at all. And if you are younger, here's the lie. Your best days are ahead of you. Once you get married, then you, you could be fulfilled. You could make a difference. Your life will start counting. But until then, doesn't really matter. You know, nothing really matters right now. I mean, yeah, if you get married, you've got to pay attention to your finances, but not now. That is not true. Your finances right now are to be leveraged for the purposes of God. 
So you're not in a holding pattern. You're not waiting for your life to count. Your life counts today. And if it's the Lord's will that you remain single, and I don't know if that's the case for you or not, but if that is the case, then it's not going to be a wasted life. The Lord has tremendous fruit designed for you. The other lie is this, that you are somehow a second-class citizen. It's just not true. This church needs you. And if we're going to be what God is calling us to be as a church, we need every single adult in this church taking maximum responsibility to use your gifts, to serve others, to lead ministry, to reach out in reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. God wants you to use your focus your, your, your focus in these days so that you don't have divided interest, but you are living fully, you are living faithfully, you are living fruitfully. This text calls you to a few things. It calls you, first of all, to avoid the temptation of self-pity. Now, I'm not saying there's not a, as I said earlier, there there's can be a genuine sense um, if you're widowed, a genuine sense of loss for sure that you live with. Um, if you want to be married and you're not, there's a, genera- there's a genuine uh, grief that can go, like an ache that, that could be part of your reality. Married people have aches and griefs as well. But that could be a part of your reality. I'm, I'm not saying that's not there. Self-pity is the kind of inward focus that rather than looking to the Lord and rather than looking to others and rather embracing my current status and asking God to mold me and use me, I'm just focused on what I don't have and wh- what I'm missing out on and how bad my life is. That kind of self-focus will eat you up so that you miss what the Lord has for you. Your status is precious, Lord. Let me ask you this question, singles, before I move to the marrieds, because they get two minutes in this sermon at least. (laughs) How would your life look different right now if you embraced, and I would say even celebrated, your single life with an undivided devotion to the Lord? What would change right now if you said, okay, I'm taking this text. Maybe you want to be married, maybe you don't, but whatever. You're saying, whether you feel called to, to being single or whether you want to be married, you're single today. You would say, I'm embracing this. I'm celebrating this. I'm thanking God for the calling I have today. I want to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. What would change today about your time, about your finances, about your friendships or your relationships, about your job, about your involvement in the church? What would change if the Lord gripped you with that in a way and put a fire in your heart? For, for your status, where you are. I'll leave that with you. Think about that. How, what is God calling you to do? Let me give a word to the marrieds. This last week, I read an article. It came out in February, but I just saw it this week on social media. Put out by the Gospel Coalition, written by um, a lady named Jennifer Grisham, who from her bio lives lo- or serves locally in a church here, Providence Church, uh, here in Frisco, I don't know her, but she wrote a very good article, and this is the title of it, Five Things Singles Wish Married Couples Knew, okay? She's single, so I'm going to let her speak to to us, because I totally agree with what she says here. Number one, God settles the solitary in a family, and it might be yours. Psalm, that's her point, Psalm 68.6 says, God settles the solitary in a home, unquote. One way God does this is through the church. He creates homes both for biological families and from beautiful friendships that become like family. The first time I dealt with the difficulty of being single, my community group leader noticed I was struggling. 
We talked about it, but that's not what helped most. What helped most was becoming part of her family. It was celebrating birthdays and holidays, going to dinner with them, spending time with her children, and just being loved by them. They were and will always be family to me. I encourage you, she's speaking to marrieds, I encourage you to make your single friends part of your life and your family. Don't assume we're too busy to have dinner with you on Friday or Saturday night. We love your kids, exclamation point. Parentheses, babysitting doesn't count. Your single friend isn't just your babysitter. Okay, this isn't, we're having you over for dinner and, and during dinner saying, hey, by the way, we don't let you know about this business opportunity. Well, I thought you were trying to be my friend. Same thing is, we're not gonna have you over for dinner and say, oh, by the way, are you free every Friday night to watch our, no, we wanna be part of the family. If, if the single wants to serve in some way, they're welcome to do so, but that's not the goal of the relationship as a married relating to a single. Number two, marriage is sanctifying, but so is singleness. I was convicted by this. I thought about how many illustrations I've used over the years about marriage and how it conforms us to the image of Christ and how many I've used about single life, maybe zero. So here's what she says. Marriage is hard and you grow a lot through it. Nobody doubts that. But singleness is also hard, and you grow a lot through it. Marriage paints a picture of Christ's love for the church. Singleness paints a picture of Christ's sufficiency and a joy of a life that accepts the Father's will as Jesus did, saying, not my will be done, but yours, Lord. I love that. Marriage is a picture, uh, Ephesians 5, how Christ loves the church. Singleness is a picture of the sufficiency of Christ that says he is more than enough, more than enough where I am today in my life. The last thing she closes with a little section about loving singles, marrieds called to love singles as God does. This is what she says. Ask your single friends. Let's pause there. If you don't have any single friends, that's where you start. You find a single friend and they're all over our church. Plenty of singles in our godly singles in our church. So you start with finding a friend. Once you, once you, do that, then you, can listen, then you can take this next step. Ask your single friends what being single means to them. Try to understand their experiences. Be a safe person to talk with. This means not treating them like their singleness is a problem to be fixed or using them because it's convenient. I don't talk much about my singleness for a host of reasons, but when a friend who has become family brings up singleness, it's much easier for me to feel like I can be honest. They remind me of God's love for me. So, married couples, love your single friends well. They'll thank you for it. This is a word to us, married folk in the church, and our, our dem- I don't know our demographics, but it's major- more married than single in our church. This is a word for marrieds, for us to come alongside for us to walk with, for us to benefit from and learn from singles in our church, to follow them in places that they lead, to befriend them, to walk as one people. That's the body of Christ. We sometimes talk about the value of racial reconciliation, which is a value for us. I'm not saying we're great at it, but we want to be. It's really important to us. So we talk about the value of seeing people of different races worshiping together and how that's a gospel testimony. 
There's other ways that unity represents Christ as well. When, when the poor and the wealthy worship together and have friend, are friends, that doesn't happen out in the culture. That says something. And I would add that when married people and single people are friends and hanging out together, it's a testimony of the unifying power of the gospel in the body of Christ. Because in the culture, singles tend to hang out and do this over here, and marrieds are very busy and tend to hang out and do this over here. And oftentimes, their social life, their service life, the life just doesn't, they don't intersect in life in the same way. And when it does happen, I believe it's a testimony to the faithfulness of God. One status is not superior to the other. One is not loved more by Christ than the other. One is not more ideal than the other. What is ideal is walking in the gifting and the calling the Lord has given us and seeking all of us to live with an undivided devotion to the Lord and then unifying around it. So while 95% of this sermon was to singles, that part, last part to the marriage is very important too because we're a culture, not of, well, the single people are here, the married people are here. No, we're the body of Christ, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, single and married together in the body of Christ. May God help us walk faithfully as he's called. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.